2: Welcome to Philanthropy SA. This is a podcast about and for the philanthropic community in San Antonio and South Texas. We introduce organizations and people who are making an impact in the community. Beneficent Financial is proud to sponsor this podcast, and it is our hope that you enjoy this conversation about the impact we can have. The goal is to edify and inspire. Now, please join our host, Dan Rebman.
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to Philanthropy SA. I'm really glad to be joined by Carl Caton. He is uh, somebody I've ran into at a multiple events through multiple organizations. So I know he is doing a ton of great stuff, not just here in San Antonio, but all around the world, literally around the world. And so, um, Carl, thanks for being here. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so what we want to do is just kind of hear a little bit about you. How did you get to be involved? And um, in addition to other stuff, he's, you know, the, the executive director at Marriage mm-hmm. Initiative. So, right. um, and so want to find out how you got into that and, you know, kind of what led you here to San Antonio and South Texas and doing all this good.
3: Well, thank you. Uh, well, I grew up in, out in West Texas, and uh, it was a, an interesting early life. I grew up in a farm and ranch community, also a refining community. We had a big refinery, and it was an interesting town to grow up in. There was hard work, was you know the emphasis, a lot of risk taking, as you can imagine, with dry land farming. Uh, but it was a, it was a very interesting town to grow up in. And uh, but my mom and dad obviously had a huge influence on me. My mom was a really interesting uh, person. And uh, she influenced me at a very early age with this idea of investing. She was a Baylor graduate and a valedictorian. She was a smart lady and thought a lot about business. And she grew uh, raised me to kind of think about investing and how investing is important, and especially investing for impact. But I also grew up in a really neat church. It was a mainline denominational church. And it was a church filled with visionaries. People had big ideas. in fact, the inventor of plastic you know if you open your refrigerator door and you see the white plastic that was invented in my little small town and and these great visionary leaders you know were uh, had had a big vision for the for the city. So it was a very interesting place to grow up. But Kelly and I moved to San Antonio in one thousand nine hundred and eighty six. I was in the real estate business. And uh, we fell in love with the city. We fell in love with what God was doing in the city. And so it it was a great early start here. Outstanding.
1: Well, we're glad you came, for sure. Um, So talk to me about how you got involved with the marriage initiative, or how did that become a cause so near and dear to your heart?
3: Well, I appreciate that question. Uh, Kelly and I are celebrating our 40th anniversary this year, so uh, we've we've been on a really fun journey, but really early in our marriage, five couples in our life divorced. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two of our close family members and our three close as friends from church, and it was a very confusing time. Uh, I was in the real estate business. We didn't know how to help couples, so we had... Lonely people over to our house for dinner on a Sunday night, and that's the only way that we knew to help couples. But as we began to um, help couples, more and more couples came to our door. It didn't make sense to me, but God began to show us that there were all sorts of really amazing resources that were very transformative in a lot of these marriages, so it gave us kind of this unique early understanding of the importance of investing in your marriage and uh, and so that is kind of what piqued our interest and So I I love the institution of marriage. I love... Um, serving marriages, but more than anything, Dan, I like being married. <laughs> <laughs> Marriage is uh, this amazing institution, you know, where I, I talk about the three C's, the-, the three C's of companionship, connection, and commitment. Marriage is the most amazing form of companionship that we have, and that we have this daily, friend on a daily journey, and I think Kelly and I, more than anything, have an incredible friendship that that's based on. But there's also this unique connection that we have as a couple, a connection that's emotional, it's spiritual, can also be uniquely, so uniquely physical, really powerful. And also marriage is the most uh, significant commitment we make to another human being, this side of heaven, right? And uh, And so marriage is really amazing. And as Tim Keller says, outside of our relationship with God, marriage is the most profound relationship there is. And we say that, and yet we know that so many couples are struggling, because in San Antonio, the census data tells us there's 400,000 marriages, and research indicates that 20% of those marriages are struggling. That means we have 80,000 struggling marriages in San Antonio. Wow. And divorce filings indicate that 9,000 couples will file for divorce this year. So it's a massive and overwhelming problem, and, but, it's the, but marriage is more than just a romantic notion. It's the family leadership team, and as goes the marriage, so goes the family.
1: Yeah, it almost sounds like there's a fourth C you could add in there, which is challenges. And that's, <laughs> yeah, you know.
3: and I've also heard covenant. You know, covenant. so there's a like lot covenant. of C's. Covenant covenants <laughs> a more powerful. One, it you know, is a, more, uh,
1: a better one than challenges. Um, so talk about, you know, sometimes it's easy to say that you know when a marriage goes, you know, has trouble and ends and that type of thing. That it's like. Sad for the people involved, but I think you've got research that shows it
3: goes well beyond that immediate household. Is that right? Yeah, there's, there's kind of a cascading impact of the, of the breakdown of marriage. And so, you know, we like, to, we like to say that if a marriage fails or if it fails to form— you know, because either way, whenever there's children being raised in a home where there's not an intact family, where there's a mom and dad present in the home, uh, those kids are at an elevated risk, not always, but at an elevated risk for negative things to happen in their life. Mm -hmm. They're more likely to fall behind in school. They're more likely to, to enter into risky behaviors. They say that where there's a lack of father presence in a home, those boys are six times more likely to be incarcerated. And there's this cascading series of impacts, again, not in every family, but, in, but it is an elevated risk for families when there's not this intact leadership team. We wanna emphasize that so much. Marriage is the central bond it's a central bond of every family. It's more than just a romantic notion. Marriage, a husband and wife are the family leadership team. And if you, if you took this same concept to any sports analogy and you said, what would it look like if the Dallas Cowboys had their, their leadership team or coaching split and, uh, and went into different camps and played different plays, would that team win? No, that team would never win. And the same thing goes for a family. A family can win, but it's much more difficult for a family to win when that leadership team is not intact.
1: Sure. No, that only makes sense. And, and as a society, we all feel the impact of when those things happen, whether it's through you know, things like higher incarceration levels, which is obviously something that society is paying attention to and that type of thing, or just the fact that people are growing up in a way that's not – you know, the most healthy for them in terms of making good
3: choices and, and doing those kinds of things. And uh, that's absolutely right. L- let's be clear on something. We talk in our society, we talk in the political realms, we talk about social problems. We talk a lot about social problems. But let's be clear, social problems are really family problems. You know, poverty, incarceration, teenage, pregnancy these are family problems. These are the, the, uh, the outcomes of the breakdown of family. And there's, there's been some incredible research called the success sequence. And this is what's so interesting about the success sequence. If young people will do four things in, the, in this order, okay, and that is if a young person will graduate high school, if they will get a job – If they will get married and if they will have children, if they'll do those four things, the likelihood of them falling into poverty is 3%. You get any one of those out of order, and it goes up tenfold. Okay? And so there is an order for things. God created marriage. He created family to create a sense of order. And when we go out of order, when we get out of order, then things can change dramatically.
1: Yeah. And and that sequencing sounds, you know, to a lot of us just like common sense. Mm -hmm. Right? But for a lot of people, they may be the first person in their family doing it in that sequence. Right. They may not be, that might not be something that was held up as a model mm-hmm. that is, you know, one, you know, to follow right? Um, and, and that type of thing. So um, let's talk a little bit about the, you know, we have talked about the social impact and that kind of thing. And obviously you come at this you know, I, I know you to be a man of great faith and that that's important to you, but this is an issue that transcends that component of it. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So can you speak a little bit about just the, the nature of the research that's involved here and that, folks, you know, this is an issue that touches us all regardless of where we're coming at from a, from a faith background?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, again, uh, the breakdown of the family it really uh, a lot of times creates cascading impacts that turns into what we call social problems. And, and when we think about it from this imp, this uh, perspective of investing, one of the things that we know is that in communities, it costs very little to keep. A marriage together. We think about two hundred dollars is what it costs to keep a marriage intact. A marriage that's in a difficult place. We think it costs about two hundred dollars to keep a marriage intact. But if a marriage breaks or if it fails to form, then the cascading impacts get more and more expensive. If kids fall behind in school, we know it's roughly five to ten to twenty thousand dollars. A teenage pregnancy t- typically costs our society twenty-five to fifty thousand. If kids enter in risky behavior, then it can cost you know seventy-five to a hundred. Juvenile incarceration in Texas costs costs us $180,000 a year. In fact, the taxpayer cost of divorce in Texas is $38,000 per family, which means... In San Antonio, we have a $300 million a year problem that nobody's talking about. Wow. But the the most significant, the most heart-wrenching uh, and the most expensive thing that we have to deal with in culture is sex-traffic children. And we don't yet, we don't yet know what it costs to rehabilitate a child that had compound traumas. We think we I've heard estimates of around $500,000 per child. Well, this is where it gets into your world Dan, in the world of investing, okay? Because for the cost of what it it uh, it re- requires to rehabilitate one sex trafficked child, you could actually s- prevent 2000 marriages from breaking. Oh my You know, and and this is the world. uh, So, this, I'm going to get out of our Christian world for a minute because a lot of the best thinking is not happening inside the church and it's not happening inside of the world of Christianity. It's happening in the secular world. And some of the best thinking is in this area is what's called effective altruism. And effective altruism is this idea that we should care about things with our heart, but we should also think about things with our head. And we should begin to think about things. And, and let me give an example of what uh, people talk about with effective altruism. For instance, this is one of the problems they pose. They say, for, well, for, for the cost of uh, training one guide dog for a blind person in the United States, you can do uh, blind, uh, blindness recovery surgery for 400 people in other countries. So this is a philosophical question. Where should we invest? but we but we know that investing in the upstream of the breakdown of the family is the most efficient and effective way to invest our money it 's not that we can 't not uh, invest in the downstream it 's that we need to not only care with our heart but think with our head because if we don 't start thinking with our head we 're never going to change the- tra- the trajectory of and the destiny of so many families
1: yeah no that that makes total sense and you know when you use words like investing. So, I know that for you is uh, along the lines of giving, and mm-hmm. so and you, I believe, had you know a time in your life where you kind of looked at giving and investing and those types of things in a different light.
3: Yeah, absolutely. About 25 years ago, a friend of mine got involved in what's called the generous giving movement. Uh, It was something that was really ignited by this author, Randy Alcorn. He wrote The Treasure Principle, and Randy began to advance these ideas of stewardship. And, uh, and that really resonated with me. And, and what was so fascinating is the friends that I saw that were getting involved in this generous giving movement, they were just tithing. The, some of these men were uh, committing 50% of their annual income. There were a few guys that were committing 90% of their, of their annual income. Can you imagine giving 90% of your annual income? But God was just blessing them and overflowing them. And I saw the faithfulness of God at work in their life, and it caused me to kind of rethink, you know, that that number one is that, you know, nothing belongs to us. We're stewards, and our job is stewardship. And we come into this world without anything, and we leave without anything. And so our job while we're here is stewardship, managing what God has given us, managing it well. And so— when you think about how do you manage what God's given you, you want to use what you have for the advancement of the kingdom of God. You want to invest in ways that get impact. And and so it's about ROI. What's the return on investment? You look at everything that you invest in. Like, for instance, Kelly and I love – to uh To give towards water in communities in in other parts of the world and it and they say you know it cost one dollar to provide clean drinking water for one person for ten years that 's a high roi investment, so we always think about roi and, and the return on investment of how we invest god 's resources and what we 've seen is God has continued to bless us in surprising ways because we just Focus on how we can invest what he's given us. Yeah, that's awesome. We're going to take a quick minute and hear from our sponsor, and then we'll pick right
2: back up with Carl. Many of you out there care deeply about wanting to make an impact on the world around you. You want to help take care of the people and organizations that are important to you. We understand that because we feel the same way. Beneficent Financial wants to help you. Our mission is to help people like you with professional, individualized financial advice achieve their objectives. Whether your financial legacy will stay within your family or benefit the community at large, we are able to help. Call Beneficent Financial today at 210 210- 922 9 999 5511 In addition to traditional wealth management, we offer philanthropic services such as direct donations of required minimum distributions, donor advised funds, and foundations. Call 210-999-5511 or go online to beneficentfinancial.net. Let us help you do well so you can do good. Securities offered through Momentum Independent Network. Member SIPC FINRA.
1: Welcome back. Carl, thanks for being here again. Um, we Before we broke there a moment ago, we uh, were talking about uh, investment. Uh, and we were talking about investment from the form of giving um, and, and you know, that type of thing. And that's something near and dear to my heart, uh, as you know, um, that we look at it that way. But, but talk to me about, I think a lot of people, when they say they're going to give to an organization, no matter how worthy and that type of thing, they don't necessarily view it within the context of investing Mm -hmm. help help them kind of get an idea of what you mean by investing and i think you know when you're talking about return on investment and that type of thing you know where the, the way that that works like within the marriage initiative and within your space
3: well, you know, when we think about how we give, a lot of times some of our responses are proactive, and some of them are reactive. And I think for a lot of people, it's reactive. They, you know, they go about their daily life, and when they're asked, you know, to give to something, uh, they might respond to that positively or, or negatively. Uh, but I think to, to properly have a mind of stewardship is to, to be proactive, and to say first of all, where's God calling us to give? What? what how, what is the story of how God has been at work in our lives? And and in understanding that and understanding our personal calling, then where should we invest to be proactive in thinking about those investments? And then secondly is just to decide, you know, where's God leading us to give? Specifically, you know, is uh, and we, I think we, it always begins in the church. We should always begin. Our first giving always begins in the church, and we should always begin by tithing in our church. But we're called to give beyond the tithe. And and that's where things get you know get really exciting. It's like where else are we going to give? And uh, and so, you know, we're not a wealthy family, and uh, so we we need to invest in ways that get high impact and get uh, a good return on investment. And so, we began to kind of think. Uh, strategically about where we can get some of that best uh, return on investment, and that's why we ended up in the in the upstream of the breakdown of families. We, we don't have enough money to create any substantial change if if we're personally investing in in the downstream. Sure. And all the money in the world will not make a difference if we wait until people and families and children are at their absolute worst moment. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't meet them there. We must. But as Great thinkers in this world think we must diversify our grant making, which means certainly we need to help people when they're at their worst possible moment. But we also need to diversify some of our giving and move to the more into the upstream. How can we begin to prevent problems from happening? You know, for instance, in the marriage space— you know, if a couple, if a young couple that's engaged and being ready to be married, if they'll take eight hours of marriage preparation, their likelihood of success in marriage goes from 50 to 92%. Wow. That's massive. That's a massive change. And if, you, if we had time to unpack why that is, it would make sense to you. That's a great place to invest is helping. And that's one of our emphasis in the marriage initiative is help young people get a better start in mm-hmm. in starting marriage well. And because think of what the taxpayer cost uh, savings with, on that would be. And, that, and the taxpayer savings is the least likely or least important reason to do these things. More important, we do this because of the impact it has on children. Sure. And as you're going through all this – the
1: um, I know that you know your your team there at the marriage initiatives may be a little unique or your structures may be a little different than some organizations do um, you want to talk about that?
3: Yeah, absolutely so you know when we talk about marriage people think we're counselors we're not we we, we train champions. And so uh, two-thirds or 65% of our mission with the Marriage Initiative is beyond San Antonio. We have four major components of our work. One is the Marriage Leaders Network. This is where we work with these amazing authors and speakers from around the country who are creating best-in-class resources for marriages who are seeing their resources being transformative in the lives of families. Our second major component is what we call Community Marriage Initiative, and that's where we're working with 89 leaders in 16 cities to help them start marriage initiatives in their own cities. And just recently, we took the leadership of National Marriage Week, which is February 7th through 14th every year. We're around the country, in fact, around the world as part of International Marriage Week. We celebrate the importance and value of marriage and encourage couples to invest in their marriage and to go on to. Date nights and do fun things in their marriage. National Marriage Week has been a lot of fun, and the fourth component is the Marriage Resource Center, where we are intending to build the largest resource center online for marriages, uh, for really anywhere in the country, and it will it will uh, showcase. 300 of the best-in-class marriage resource creators who collectively create over 1,000 resources for marriage. And all of these pieces fit strategically together. And so we, more than anything, we unite and we help uh, train dynamic marriage leaders around the country who want to impact their communities for marriage.
1: That's incredible. And, and to think all that's just here in little old South Texas and San Antonio. So that's awesome. <laughs> um, I know that, um, you know, so you mentioned your professional background in terms of real estate and that type of thing. And so and you've obviously, you know, dedicating a huge amount of time to the marriage initiative and everything that's going on there. Um, I know that's been a bit of a walk for you as well in terms of how you balance those. So kind of talk to us a little bit about how you balanced that, you know, Professional life and what you're doing there, with you know the, the impact that you're having through through the marriage initiative.
3: Well, I, I was very blessed as a young man to have a lot of smart people around me and a lot of people that gave me guidance, and I always had a real reverence and for people's wisdom. And even beginning as a college student, I would be always looking for men. And women that were 10 years or 20 years further down the road. And I would always be intentional to reach out to them. And, to, and when I was in my when I was 25, I would say, what's it like to be 35? And what are you working with? What should I know about what it's like to be 35? Or I'd meet with a man who was 45 and say, what should I look like? And I'll never forget this man named Clyde Cox who became a mentor to me. He was 25 years older than me. And he he gave me some incredible wisdom when I was in my 30s. And he said this. He said, Carl, don't wait until you retire to begin to shift your legacy season. Because there's really three seasons of a man's life, and that's adventure, mastery, and legacy. You know, adventure is when we're young and we want to do all these crazy things, and mastery is where we want to, you know, scale the the our vocation and in, in our profession, and then legacy is when we begin thinking beyond. And uh, and Clyde told me, he said, he said, Son, he said, be thinking about what you want your legacy to be earlier in your life and so in my early 40s I decided that I would go on a 20 year track to become more and more bivocational every year I I wasn't going to make a significant crazy radical change at age 42 I had a family and my kids were young you know but I I developed this idea that every year I would shift 5% more of my time over 20 years to ministry and so in the very beginning it was I was only spending 5% and then a year later 10% and slowly over 20 years I, I became fully vocational uh, in in a ministry vocation. Mm-hmm. And that just actually became 100% this past November. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> where, uh, where I left the real estate business and became full-time in the nonprofit and, and family-strengthening space. Very good.
1: And in, in the course of doing that, what happened as you hit maybe a hiccup professionally or something like that? Was there a temptation to say oh, you know what, I need to stay at this level for a while, or maybe even take a step back and say, I I need to pour a little bit more into the business side.
3: You know, it's, um, well, first of all, uh, in full transparency, there was a lot of moments where I thought, this is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know how this is going to work, and this sounds really crazy. But I took a slow and steady approach, and I, I had to say I didn't know how God would work through this. But I did know he would show up. I didn't know what our outcomes would be. And uh, and so we just took each step each year to get closer and closer to this. And what was so fun about that, Dan, is God showed up in amazing ways and ways that I had no idea. Look, I never planned to be in the marriage space or marriage initiatives. I never dreamed this is the space we'd, we'd be in. And yet here we are, and uh, we're impacting leaders in cities you know, all around the country and uh, and it 's been such an exciting journey it you know it 's it 's like going on a daily treasure hunt where every day we 're just we 're saying god you 've got to show up today you 've got to do something in a way that will help us move forward and so it 's been a really fun journey absolutely
1: so how can people who are interested come alongside you and help in this what can what can people who are listening to this and say you know, I've been moved in a way that I want to, like, come alongside and help these folks.
3: Well, let's talk about the full spectrum. So, first of all, invest in your own marriage. You know, uh, be intentional about how you grow in your marriage. There's so many resources. In fact, we give our community almost 200 resources a year, and, and half of those are live events in San Antonio. If you want to grow in your marriage, there so many ways that you can do that. So, invest in your own marriage. Secondly, invest in the couples around you. Have you ever thought about being a mentor? Or maybe just to a friend to a young couple that's uh, engaged and want to be married. So think about the marriages around you. Thirdly would be, if you're really passionate about marriage, what would it look like if you started a marriage ministry in your own church? We, We have a huge support system for couples that want to lead marriage ministry in their own church maybe you've done really well in the business world or financial world somehow, and you really want to invest in a high ROI uh, ministry, then we always invite people to be a part of this financially. And, uh, but for everyone, we say, please pray for the, this ministry and for this work. The enemy has – look, Dan, you would agree with me – the enemy has had his way in marriage. Oh, yeah. Marriage has been under attack for decades And the enemy has had his way, and families have been destroyed. And the only way we're really ever going to turn this around is if God chooses to move in this, and He is, and if we call on Him through the power of prayer and especially collectively through the power of prayer to show up and to redeem and restore. And we believe that's true. We say we believe God desires to redeem and restore marriages in San Antonio by His power and for His glory. And the thing that I love about that is that it doesn't say anything about it. our organization or me or or us. It, it's just we're pointing to the fact that God hasn't given up on marriage. Let's, let's remind ourselves— Marriage was God's first institution. And it was, it was a long time coming before he created his second institution, the church. And the church has sadly forgotten about marriage in some ways. Mm-hmm. And so we're calling the church back to his first institution. Let's invest in marriages. Let's use the power of the kingdom of God to redeem and restore marriages. Amen.
1: I just want to thank Carl for being here today. I just think that uh, this is a topic that we can spend a lot more time on, and I want to encourage anybody who's looking for a way to make a positive difference in this space to uh, do those things. Work on your own marriage, help other people, and then uh, feel free to reach out to the Marriage Initiative and do that. Do you have a website that of you want to direct people yeah, to? Yeah, samarriage.org org. That's a good one and easy to remember. So, uh, thank you for joining us today. We were very glad to have Carl Caton from the San Antonio Marriage Initiative here. Um, and when you hear about Marriage Week next uh, February from the 7th to the 14th, uh, make sure that you uh, do something intentional that week and come alongside and, uh, and work on that. So, glad everybody was able to join us today. And uh, on behalf of Philanthropy SA, this is Dan. Redmond saying thank you.
2: Thank you for joining us at Philanthropy SA. We hope you found something to inspire you during today's conversation. If you know organizations and people who are making an impact in the community, we would love to hear about it. Until next time, do well so you can do good.